0: The car you drive every day should be fun.
1: But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries.
0: You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this
1: is the Everyday Driver Car Today. Hey friends, welcome back. We are thrilled to have you along for the podcast, because we've got a milestone for this one. This is really, uh, what it represents is a lot of talking by Todd and I. And in celebration, <laughs> we're going to keep talking, but it's answering yes. all of your car-related questions which we've asked for on Facebook. And you yep, guys have yep. written a ton of stuff. I've chosen a bunch out of here that's going to be uh some fun stuff to talk about. Just all about cars and uh some stuff that's a little bit off topic, but that's okay too. Yeah, yeah. Because it all relates. And uh will be a lot that's of fun. the thing though
0: is that Hundred and fifty podcasts. That's, that's the step we're on here. And now that we're doing two a week, we are sawing through the numbers much faster than I think you and I thought of when we first started the podcast. Yeah. And you know, we did that that f- funny thing and fun thing at a hundred, where we answered. Any question you guys had that wasn't cars. And that was like a a humorous descent into madness. But it was fun. But we thought, okay, uh, that's going to happen about once a year now. About every 100 milestone will be about once a year. But we thought, all right, you guys also ask a lot of car-related stuff. We don't get to all of it. So that's what these 50 designation podcasts, we hope this is our grand plan, are going to be. And here's the first of them. And, yeah, it's a lot of great questions. And some other random stuff, of course, that we're going to rant about up front because uh, all kinds of things are happening, including, did you get out today? Did we have our first major snowstorm in Utah? Did you drive it all today, Paul? I
1: didn't actually. I've just, uh, admired the snow and, you know, that just means skiing is on the way. But I was imagining yeah, yeah. everybody out on the roads thinking, ah, huh, wonder what's going on out there. And, uh, it sounds like you were out there.
0: I was, I was out. I actually uh, took a couple breaks from editing the Icon film today. I ran my son to school and I also picked him up. And I do have the winter tires on the FRS. So I had that little little kid thing of, hey, I have the winter tires on. <laughs> that car is going to be really fun today. So I went out. And, and this I'm, look, I'm going to get winter driving geeky for a minute. But this is the first real storm we've had. I think we've gotten like five or eight inches today. Yeah. And it's also the first like, real cold snap we've had. So the ground is still kind of warm. Mm -hmm. You know, the ground hasn't really frozen yet. So what happens is when you get that tiny little layer of snow, it melts and then quickly turns to a layer of ice. So everybody is, first off, come on, folks, it's almost December. If you don't have your winter tires on yet, you're not really paying attention. I don't care how warm it's been. But a lot of people have been completely caught out by by tires. And I'm shaking my head because, folks, this happens every year. And yet half the people (laughs) I saw driving today, you would think they've never seen snow on a road. I was
1: wondering. Did you see people in the ditch? I mean, were people accidents and the whole deal? Was it?
0: No, I didn't see any any of of that. But I I saw a lot. A lot of careful stepping. And, you know, granted, I only did the little school run. I didn't do much. And, of course, I took the opportunity to find an empty parking lot and slide around needlessly because, you know, that's part of the fun. Why not? But uh, but it was interesting to see, you know, here I am out in my orange sports car and driving around. Everybody suddenly today was SUVs only and then careful stepping. But (laughs) it begins. (laughs) I'm looking forward to getting a nice layer of snow on. And I'm also hoping I can get out of my driveway tomorrow because it is still snowing hard. But we should do, at some point, another rear-wheel drive in the snow video this, this winter. Uh, maybe we can do it on a nice day and bring out the GTS. I'm just saying. Well, but, yeah, uh, GTS anyway.
1: doesn't have uh, winter-driving <laughs> tires on that thing. And I've, I I've been debating about, should I? Should I take the plunge? That means wheels and tires. And I know, Chance, you have. He equipped the Boxster that he and his wife drive. Mm -hmm. That is already in set, and Mandy is driving that around. So, of course, they will tease me endlessly about not having winter tires ready to go on the GTS. True, eh, true. We'll see. We'll see. I I was thinking about (laughs) you're going to just rail on me. Uh Tirecradle.com. Tire cradles. They keep your tires from flat spotting. They're shaped in the round shape of your tire that you park on. Of course they are. With a battery maintainer and a,
0: yeah. Of course they are, yeah. Anyway, Mm -hmm. should I I get these? I wish I was surprised that that exists (laughs) or that you have looked at it seriously. I have. And yet I'm not surprised of either one. The the real question is, do they have a Porsche-branded porsche branded tire cradle because then it's a done deal it's you're you're right over the edge if the huh. porsche panamera or, or panorama or whatever it is magazine starts selling porsche branded tire cradles we can all wait for that shipment at your place because it's going to happen
1: <laughs> i'm slightly embarrassed but you know more 90 percent, but not, not really yeah you know yeah i understand yeah well uh we'll see we'll see but uh i still think you should put a blade <laughs> on the front cradle. of your car you should just well that's you know the thing, embrace Plow your neighbors. The, the front,
0: the front fascia of the FRS is almost snow plow shaped to begin with. It's like a big <laughs> snow shovel ma- maw, anyway. So I practically will be plowing the street. But it, you know, as I'm, I'm a weirdo because I just think it's fun. I just was out there today going, yeah, I'm the guy in the sports car and I'm good with it. It was, it was very fun.
1: That's awesome. But
0: uh, so that madness has begun. Uh, you know, actually, another thing that's, that's happening now that actually chance you talked about chance just reminded me today. We are on Drive Tribe and it just went public today. Not public like it was an IPO, public like if you weren't invited already now you can get on. Mm-hmm. So everybody yep. is invading Drive Tribe. And you know, we talked about it on the podcast a few weeks back about we don't really know what it is and that hasn't changed. We still don't really know what it is. But we decided it was important to at least have a presence on there. So if you are a person that is digging around on Drive Tribe, if you're curious about it like we are, if you're signing up for tribes, as we've done, we would love to have you with us, of course, on our tribe there at, uh, at Drive Tribe. We will have a few things that we'll post that I'm sure won't be elsewhere, but most of it, candidly, is going to be helping people that are on Drive Tribe find our content on YouTube and elsewhere. That's the reason for that, uh, that, that tribe there. And the reason we've done that, kind of back to what we talked about, is we don't want to put anything on Drive Tribe for them to monetize, but we can't. Mm-hmm, so we're right. going to try yes. to get people we want we want to have a presence we want to have people know that we exist but if you find us for the first time on Drive Tribe we're going to try to get people headed toward our work but all of that to say of course if you join our tribe that helps other people see it and find our work as well so we would love that thank you
1: Yeah absolutely if you're not familiar with Drive Tribe we still aren't really either at this point but it's positioned as a digital hub for motoring so as Todd is saying videos articles yeah. social media and I'm thinking We've already got that, so why do we need more tribes? But, okay, if it catches on and it's a thing, I mean, I'm reading here Oliver James Webb. Ollie Webb, I had the pleasure of meeting him at Goodwood Festival of Speed as the test driver for BEC Mono. Good guy and super fast driver. Uh, Just about everybody you can think of in the motoring world is going to be on there, as are we. So find us on there. A huge
0: splash initially. It'll be interesting to see where it goes and what they do with it, because I think that's unknown. But obviously, connected with those three Grand Tour guys and their history, everybody's super excited to get involved. But I think it's really, I mean, what is it in six months? That's what I want to know. What is Drive Tribe in six months? Because it'll either be the place where everyone is, or it will probably whimper and die. I'm just really curious. Nobody knows yet.
1: Yes and uh good news everyone Todd as you can hear is not dead under a pile of footage he is this alive is and talking this is not uh you know a pre-programmed robot voice he has been working <laughs> so hard on our icon film and it is nearing the finish line with an expected yep. to release to be announced very soon and uh we are really excited to share this film with you it's going to be early December 2016 all about BMW M3s, celebrating the 100th anniversary of BMW and the 30th anniversary of the M3 as a model, as a car you can buy. Yep. So we've got this. We've been just, yeah, doing a lot of work on it. And Todd has been really killing himself. I saw the final cut. And uh, wow, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thrilled. I cannot wait to share this with you.
0: It's, it's really, yeah, I'm- really turned out. So congrats. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you liked it so much. I mean, obviously, I have been you know eyeball deep in it for a long time yeah. so all i'm thinking about is summer driving roads and bmws so every now and then i have little ticks and my wife has to smack me but anyway the uh <laughs> i am settling out the picture here's the here's the update the picture is locked picture edit is locked which if you know post-production and all you may not but you have to lock the picture in order to send it out to other folks like the mix and folks if you change the picture cut after that it is seriously problematic for all of the later steps it is going out for mix it will have a 5-1 audio surround mix for the Blu-ray as it has had on our last few films Uh, I will be doing the color correction so that's what my next step is then we gotta do the Blu-ray master and all of that we are hopefully a couple weeks away from release on that we will lock it down for sure and let you know Uh, we are gonna do a small premiere in the Park City area in middle of December So we'll let you know that as well. If you want to swing by or you live in Salt Lake Park City, we'd love to have you. So all of that information is forthcoming. But I can say with certainty now, we really do have a film because picture's locked. And it needs to be in order to be mixed. So that's where we are.
1: Yep. And along with that, we keep thinking of T-shirts, which is kind of fun. We keep going, that would be a great hashtag. or
0: That'd be a great
1: phrase. So we're going to do some Icon T-shirts. That's the name of the film. If you haven't caught that by now, Icon is the name of the film and uh, we're going to produce some t-shirts so you can buy those and find all that stuff under shopping under the store on the everydaydriver.com yep. website so we will Well,
0: we'll and and, that and I so. want to I want to encourage people to to look at that logo because this is a logo that Paul created and we were in the middle of the shoot for this BMW shoot and I don't remember who initially came up with it but we talked about it being called icon and then somebody came up with it should look like the M3 logo and Paul went, I'm on that. I can make that happen. And it looks amazing. If you've seen the trailer or you've seen any of the things we've posted where it's shown the logo above the cars, that M3-looking logo that says Icon, that will be the shirt. Yeah. So if yeah. you're interested in that at all, it is coming. It will drop the same time the film does. So more information on that very soon. And, of course, we've also got our host shirt, 50 Years of 9-11. Many of you have ordered that and, and written to us and said thank you for that shirt. We also need to make a version that can be printed on some dark colors with a white version. That's uh, forthcoming as well and a cool shirt about pilgrimage so if you are if you've ever asked us about shirts we've finally done it and it's under the store tab as paul mentioned
1: <laughs> finally <laughs> this is great well uh we are jumping in as we said podcast 150 this is crazy i can't believe we've been is, talking that yeah. long i mean there's other podcasts that have been going far longer but it it is a milestone it feels good to be interacting and really nailing down the format and how we help everybody find cars and spend their money. I really love it.
0: Yeah. Uh, And as you said, as, as as you said, it is shocking to think about we have done that much talking that is now recorded. So, uh, you know, those of you that are still writing to us and saying, hey, I just found the podcast and I started from episode one. There's a part of me that wants to applaud you and another part of me that goes, don't injure yourself. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm really glad to have all of you that are listening. And if you haven't rated the podcast yet, we would love for you to do that. But first and foremost, I mean, you've written in all these really cool questions. We want to try to get to a majority of them tonight. That is the reason for this podcast. Where do you want to start?
1: Let's just jump right in, since we're talking about films. Austin Boone wrote to us about the pilgrimage trips that we did. The first yeah, one yeah. was our first film from 2015, where Todd and I and Thomas Edgar went to the Nurburgring and mm-hmm. went to Spa, Francorchamps, and that was our first pilgrimage. And out of that grew yeah. subsequent trips that we have also had in 2016. He wants to hear about all the other stuff besides the tracks. So food sure. and restaurants and interactions and German culture. And I, I want to yeah, jump yeah, in, yeah. Austin. That's a great question because okay. I love the German culture. I mean, especially Audubon driving and the great privilege that is the Audubon that's bestowed mm, mm. on everybody there. That's why we go and that's part of the reason we do this. But, uh, yeah, just being in the culture and enjoying things and noting similarities, differences. I- I'm just uh-huh. noting in language alone. I can't speak German. And, sure. you know, words like kindergarten we use in English all the time. A very German word. It's a garden of children. And <laughs> learning about how much the Germans like beer and like the sunshine. And it's because it doesn't have, you know, the sun doesn't come out very often so they soak it up and it, it's funny i'm i'm sure germans look at us and europeans look at us and you know <laughs> stereotypes are time saving and and uh, marvel at that but you know <laughs> same thing here we're we're marveling at the amount of uh beer schnitzel spetzel, pork knuckle and uh well but gosh, other but here's the thing when you, we go you
0: don't you don't have to go it's like any it's like any tourist culture you you can go to any country and you can get the stereotypical food of that culture which is shoveled toward tourists. I mean, pick your <laughs> yeah. destination yeah. on the planet. But, you know, all of the locals typically end up turning their nose up at, "Oh yeah, of course you you came here and you went there to eat because with very few exceptions, the places that the locals are going to go to are not the places everybody else is going to go to. But here's the thing. I am a I I eat like a child, okay? I eat like an American <laughs> child. So, as a result, I would like a a large piece of meat and some french fries the germans can do that the germans can do that well so i'm always very happy when we eat in germany because it's very easy to find stuff that i naturally want to eat Uh, but yet i don't get anything that i would typically say is the typical german dish either so you know i I, you know i'm not let's get schnitzel (laughs) i I just i don't care i you know but
1: yeah yeah and chocolate, but I mean They've everywhere, got loads of great
0: chocolate. Exactly, I mean, exactly. I, there's, there's really nothing wrong with this situation as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so that, that's always worked really well. But I have to say, Austin, both the times we've been to the ring, we've gone to Piston Klaus, which is kind of the restaurant, like the number one place everybody wants to go, that is right there by the ring. If you haven't put it together already, it's part of a a hotel called the Tiergarten Hotel. Sabine Schmidt, who most of you have probably heard of, her family runs the Tiergarten Hotel, and Piston Klaus is the nice restaurant in the bottom with a bunch of motorsports memorabilia. And it's funny because you can be in either of those locations, the Tiergarten or uh, Piston Klaus, and you can see people walking around and you go, oh, They're related to Sabine, and they're related to Sabine. I mean, there's a lot of family resemblance in the people that are walking around in there, but they're all incredibly nice. But the food at Piston Klaus is awesome, as is the alcohol. So everybody that goes there seems to love it. But then, So here's the thing. It's one of those places where, I don't know if you've thought of this, Paul, but if it it didn't have good food, it would probably still be successful because of where it is and its history and the memorabilia on the walls. So it's cool for all of that reason. But then it has good food on top of it. So if you don't get in early, I mean, we were we were there with our group that we took uh, for pilgrimage this year. We were there, and the guys from RSR that we had just left, they came in an hour after us and walked through the whole restaurant just shook their heads, and were just like, there's nowhere to sit, and there won't be for an hour and a half. Yeah. And it yeah. was like a Thursday night. So they shook our hands and said, bye, guys, sorry, and they left. And, and so it's a place that is just busy all the time. Also... I, apparently if you want to go to Piston Klaus you have to drive your Porsche GT three to Piston Klaus. Oh. but uh, that place is just awesome.
1: It just is. I, I just it's so funny because I you know in a lot of German restaurants I sit down and I'm I'm trying to find salad and they just look at me with the strangest look. <laughs> or what's even better is when they just automatically bring you the English printed menu and you think, am uh-huh. I that much of a foregone conclusion that you didn't even? Yes. I didn't even get to try before asking. And, no. you know, you and I pull up the app that converts the text, you know, German yeah, to translation English. Translation. And we're aiming yeah. it at the it's map. Awesome. And they just then go ahead and bring the English printed menu over for us and, oh, yeah. You know, nod and smile knowingly. So, all right, whatever. But, uh, you know, we love uh, the interaction. We love absolutely the culture. And we commented all the time, you know. Things that wouldn't happen in the U.S. Like mm, after the sure. spa day, they brought out munchies and hors d'oeuvres, a whole lot of alcohol, wine, and we were yeah. just out there on yeah, yeah. the track. The track mm-hmm. session was still going, and we're <laughs> sipping wine and eating olives and looking around and going, yeah, only in Europe. Definitely. It was uh, <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah. So, it's, but it's awesome. It is I cool. mean,
0: culturally, we've had an amazing time, uh, both the times we've been. We really haven't run into anybody that was difficult. We've had great experiences. So, I mean, nothing but but good things to say there. And actually, this transitions easily to Charlie James, who lives in Germany. When we were there this past year, We actually had a meet-up when when the folks that came on the adventure left. We had a meetup with folks that were in Germany that that follow the show who wanted to come join us there in Frankfurt. And Charlie actually has been stationed there, and he actually was one of the people that joined us. We met him last year at the ring. I mean, this sounds like we go to the ring every weekend. We don't, but we have just had some really good experiences. (laughs) But Charlie is asking culturally, because he's living in Germany and he's about to move back to the U.S., he asked us about some of the pros and cons that that Paul and I have discovered because, obviously, we've both moved – separately and at totally different times to the park city area here in in utah and we used to live in los angeles proper both of us lived there for a long time paul for like 20 years so he's asking pros and cons and differences and we still go back to la a lot i mean we were just there like a week or two ago for la auto show and a shoot after that this is a great question actually charlie because the biggest thing i know it's going to seem so crazy obvious but traffic yeah there is essentially comparatively no traffic in utah Anytime anybody tells me they're stuck in traffic in Utah, I have, I have to try not to laugh at them. <laughs> so traffic is one part of it. But then conversely, though, I mean, the reason there's so much traffic in people in California is because the day-to-day in California was sunny and 70 degrees. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just yeah. – I mean, here we are talking about I've got winter tires on my car. People don't know how to drive on normal cleared freeways. And all of the fun driving roads that are in the film Icon are snowed in and gone for four or five months. That's a bummer. In California, if you can get yourself out of town, you've got great driving roads anytime you'd like to go. And that is a bummer that, that we don't have that here. But I avoid traffic, and I get to ski by living here. So that's good.
1: Yeah, I would say the traffic is occupies the top three spots on my reasons to live in Utah, <laughs> the lack thereof. It just. Yeah, I hear you. Seriously, I mean, i I lived there for a long time, as Todd said, and it just seems like every time we go, the traffic is worse. Inexplicably, at all hours of the day and night, and I'm just still amazed by that. And now, not living there, we go back, and I'm going, I, yeah, I did this, and yeah. it, it is yeah. part of the lifestyle. But you know, there's my friend says you're paying the sunshine tax, you know, because because uh, yeah. of the weather, yeah. and you know the car culture sounds uh, obvious, but yes, the car culture from car shows to you know, just getting the availability of press cars. I mean, in general, the hot sports cars yeah. are really yeah. on the coasts, Texas included, but generally the coasts. I mean, you know, not yeah. that many people are buying Vipers in Kansas, so you know, those press cars go to the coasts.
0: And uh, yeah, you're true. You're right. You're you know, right.
1: things like that. And uh, fortunately, it's it's a quick flight. You know, we're still very close because we do still shoot a lot there, uh, northern and southern California now increasingly. And uh, you know, but uh, you know, Utah definitely has some great driving roads, and we're looking forward to exploring more of that. More in southern Utah, we've got so many ideas of things to do with the scenery yeah. around here. Yeah, that that's is true. Just, that's very true. We haven't even scratched the surface because we talk about, you know, all the. It seems like all the motoring journalists are generally in California, and so mm-hmm. videos LA have based. a yeah, most of them. They have a look to them that is California uh-huh. scenery. It's pretty. Absolutely. But after a while, even we're starting to go, all right, even cityscapes and just, you know, we're looking for different things. And so I think that's what Utah does for us. But then, you know, putting cars on camera here versus the availability of cars in California is always a thing. So it's yeah, trade-offs, definitely. always back and forth. There's always trade-offs. But uh, yeah, Charlie, it's so great to see you again. And uh, even though I'm not a beer drinker, the Schmucker beer was really quite delicious, I have to admit. <laughs> and uh it was uh, it was nice. So yeah, Charlie found Schmucker beer. Apparently I have a brewery in Germany.
0: <laughs> if only you were getting a cut of that brewery, the Sheesh. show would be very different. Yeah, yeah it would
1: be would be hooting everything constantly. And,
0: and and how long would it take in this country, probably wouldn't happen in Germany, but how long would it take in this country for a car show sponsored by an alcohol maker to get sued into oblivion? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, yeah. Stopwatch. Yeah, that would You could time it with a stopwatch. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Well, but that,
0: but back to the the cultural thing. I mean, it's one of the, the jokes that you and I make every time we go. Is that Germany in general? I mean, you've been joking about stereotypes. Save time, but I hate to say it. Germany in general, everything is very procedural. Everything is very precise. Everybody follows the rules of the road. None of that can really be said for American driving, and yet, <laughs> the American tracks are very restrictive. Yeah. And just this side of a lawsuit at any track at any time, and you you must follow the rules or you can't get on track. So here's the U.S., which would never in a million years tolerate a place like the Nordschleife. And yet here's Germany, much more procedural and much more official feeling, and yet they've got, yeah, take the family van. The kids don't have helmets. Strap them in. Let's just go. <laughs> I love that about Germany. The dichotomy there astounds me. And every time we drive that track, we look at each other and we go, this would never happen in the US. No one would tolerate this for five minutes. Yeah. So we're glad that it's there. But anyway, what what else did you like?
1: Oh, looking down the list here, Clement Lau asks me, when I order my Jag F-Pace, what options or packages will I be ticking off? (laughs) So presumptuous. On my part, I mean, I I talk about that. But (laughs) Todd has actually brought up the Volvo, the XC90, which from a design yeah. standpoint is absolutely brilliant. And nowhere mm-hmm. does it say that you're required to have seven kids and soccer practice and, you know, all that kind of stuff in your life to own a Volvo. Nowhere is that written. True. It is absolutely True. fair game. And I've started giving that some thought. I was talking to my dad about that the other day. And he said, mm. oh, I like the Audi Q7. That's really caught my eye. And I thought, huh, that's up there. And, you know, yeah. of course, I keep yeah. coming back to the, to the Cayenne, but – he asked me also about the BMW SUVs, and to honestly, I don't really feel like the BMW SUV lineup does it for me. The cars sure. do like crazy, but yeah. just I mean they're good. They're good, but yeah, we've got the F Pace, we've got you know the Volvo, we've got <laughs> so the many. Oh, I love it. Gosh, I don't know. I, I mean, I want to I want to see it around a little bit more, and I'd probably go middle of the road, I don't know that I could afford yeah. or want to afford the fully, what is it, sure, 380 sure. horsepower, full on, you know, fully loaded, because that is getting expensive. But something with, you know, middle of the road, you know, nice, something nice. But I don't know. The Jeep is still the bomb around car, and I just, I wish, Yeah. I don't know, I, I wish it were
0: <laughs> awesomer. <laughs> You you wish the little little niggly little problems that you have with it. You wish those didn't exist. I mean that's the reality yeah. of it. The, the issues you're having with it now are such tiny little things, but they're kind of constant annoyances. And uh, yeah, and I've noticed the shift a little bit because you've started driving the GTS in more situations where I'm surprised you showed up in the Porsche. Really, it makes me go, huh. I'm okay. trying. So the the Jeep exists, but uh, hey, there's a GTS Outback. Let's take that. So good for you though. I do like that. Um, yeah, the F Pace. I honestly I was disappointed by the amount of plastic in that cabin. Some yeah. of the materials in that cabin I was not pleased by when I sat it at the LA Auto Show. It's the first time I'd been in one. Now you know, obviously it changes a little bit with, you know, what version did you get? How high in the up in the hierarchy did you go? I thought the X3 Jaguar uh, sedan did a better job with material placements than the F-Pace, but it's still a really cool car. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, don't know. I, I, I love that XC90 for you, though, just because... Look, it's massively too large for anything you need it for, but if you're going big SUV and you want to go counterpoint to the Porsche, I do wonder about that, Plus, you talk Volvo up so much, but interesting. I know. Uh, G- Jeff Snow talked about... Speaking of, of brands, Jeff Snow talked about uh, Pontiac. Could they have survived? Should they have survived as a niche brand of GM... Uh, and he's asking about, you know, what, what about the lineup and that kind of thing. You know, Jeff, you've almost read my mind on this topic. Not that it's like on the, the tip of my tongue all the time, but when GM started sc- uh, scuttling brands, I was shocked they killed Pontiac. I was shocked. Now, part of the reason is because they kept Buick, which seems really weird until you realize that Buick is a huge thing in China. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. the the typical luxury uh, marks, all of those are looked at by the young Chinese affluent folks as old people cars, which is hysterical because that's how we look at Buick's. but so as a result, <laughs> Buick has, has swept in culturally and Buick is the new hip luxury brand and and name your other luxury brand, your your Mercedes, your BMW. these are all looked at. I think even Lexus is looked at as you know what? Those are old people cars, which makes me laugh. So that's the whole reason they kept Buick. That meant that Pontiac had to die, but the stuff they had in the pipeline or on the on the, the lot when they died, I mean, the Solstice, I wish that had a second gen. The G8, that should have had a second gen. You've kind of hinted at what I wished, Jeff, and that is what if they had the Pontiac brand and all it was, was enthusiast-focused cars. Everything in the lineup was rear-wheel drive. Everything in the lineup was designed to be a sporting car. They could funnel everything that is sporty toward that. Mm-hmm. I, I wish it had stayed. I wish the Solstice had a second gen. I'm even going to go controversial for a second. What if the the Camaro actually ended? I know it's a historic brand. I get it. What if it ended? <laughs> Shop. And it, just, and it just became the Pontiac Firebird. Hmm. So that the only thing that stays in the Chevy lineup that is a traditional sports car is now the Corvette and everything else sporting went to Pontiac that is focused to be a sports car, I'm saying. What if it were that brand? Now, we've talked a lot about the FRS and the GTR and focused sports cars don't sell in volume, but we're talking about a subsidiary of the monster that is GM. I would have loved to have seen it.
1: That's interesting. I, I'm with you on the uh, the sports car aspect of it. And Pontiac actually made a big impression on me as a kid, but funny enough, it was mm. a sedan—that nasty six thousand sedan from the mid eighties. But my friend's <laughs> dad drove one, and it was all okay. like tech focused, and I just—I thought it was so cool from a technological standpoint. Although back then, of course, it was—you know—hey, I was young, I was very young, so <laughs> it, it's funny what leaves an impression on you. But I was digital thought, dash. Oh, it's digital numbers. Oh my
0: gosh. And uh, it yeah, just it's made a, this, imp- it's, <laughs>
1: this impression it's like made. A, You know
0: what it is? <laughs> it's like a calculator watch for cars. It is.
1: It totally was. And I thought, yeah. you know, GM had to make some hard choices, obviously, in the face of, of course. you know, of course. the the recession, the global sales drop, all that stuff. And they had to really cut back. And it was hard to foresee Pontiac moving forward, I think, even though, as you said, the small, nimble, lightweight sports car niche like the Solstice that they began with. Mm-hmm. What if we were on generation three of the Solstice right now? I mean, no, how no much, how cool would that no be kidding. with the turbocharging stuff that GM's got? And what yep. if, yep. since they've got this sort of a bit of tech background and kind of, you know, had that in their lineage, what if the Pontiac brand was all electric? Much like BMW's i hmm. brand, it's a brand within a Interesting.
0: brand. Interesting. I see where you're going. All yeah. Pontiacs all right.
1: were pushed towards the electric technology. No, we wouldn't have the Chevy Bolt, but maybe it was, a, you know, a Pontiac because, you know, the big four doors, the big heavy stuff with Chevy. Um, you know, huh. we've I established Buick. We got rid of Oldsmobile way back when, but Pontiac could be this super high-end tech experimental thing they could come out with low run versions of you know lease only this super amazing whatever electric thing and try it out and then they would push it forward with more mainstream electric vehicles huh. but who knew we we never saw this coming it was hard to hard to do that and they whittled the entire brand down to four brands which is fine but i just yeah, think yeah. that could have survived what if it were small nimble lightweight electric cars that could have led huh, okay. the industry that nobody had i see your
0: I see your i i brand like BMW. I see where you're going there. That is, you're you're building a sub brand under that. Uh, okay, all right. I see where you went. You killed my whole enthusiast idea, but I do see where you went. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's just another take and. Yeah, totally. no, no, I totally agree. I, I
0: hear that. Amusing. You, you you sent me down. You sent me down a, a bad pathway of the internet because I uh, I googled the Pontiac 6000 and went to images. Oh, when it's you brought nasty. That up. It's so nasty. And I, oh, it, it's horrific. But I have found one that I think tops it all because of course this is old GM 80 stuff. So all <laughs> totally. of the dashboards are cracked and everything about it is you know they thought it was cutting edge when it happened and it was old in five minutes. I mean this kind of thing. But it has kind of a two tier dash. If you can't and you may want to look it up. I should actually post this picture. I'm going to save it and try to post it, but. Uh, <laughs> I have found. Carson I have 80s. found the bad cars. I have 80s. found the mm-hmm. ultimate. No, no, no. This is just. This is some car where a guy had a Pontiac six thousand, and it's a photo that kind of takes a while. You keep seeing new ridiculousness about it because he's changed the steering wheel to something more modern, which is not too much of a surprise. Even though the steering wheel is awful, but on the upper tier of the two tier dash is his portable ashtray. Just a little circular <laughs> ashtray, just tucked in the corner. That's one of the, the, the awesome, awesome things. But the other awesome thing about this photo that took me a minute, and I almost clicked away before I saw it, there's a rip in the upholstery. Not a surprise. He has his remote control for his aftermarket stereo, Conveniently shoved into the rip of the upholstery <laughs> as if it were a pocket. This is fantastic. Oh I must post this photo. This I, is... I don't know who to credit, but I must post this photo. And the, I'm awful. clicking away from this this tab right now because it's going to burn my eyes. Oh my yeah. gosh.
1: I mean, not to give terrible GM cars from the 80s any love. That's not the point. It was just the square <laughs> buttons and the, you know, no, I get it. No, digital I, this I, well, and but... self leveling suspension. And it just looked like. I don't know. It just looked cool to my but, young eyes.
0: But the little, but the little kid you, it, when no one else has a car like that, I, I see that. I see that. I mean, come on. My son thinks the FRS is the fastest car on the planet. I mean, kids have weird imaginations yeah, about cars. And we're okay? all like,
1: um. So, <clears throat> but you know what? It is to him.
0: It is. But it is. It is. You know. So anyway, uh, what else do we have here? What else did you like?
1: Hmm, 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 Luigi de Guzman is asking about the heads-up display that we talked about a couple podcasts ago, or maybe it was last time. Uh-huh. And yeah, yeah. Uh, he had a good suggestion here that uh, he – I think he liked it like my augmented reality suggestion, but he was asking for the car to give you verbal commands for the road. And I mm-hmm. think that makes you want to drive faster if you know what's coming next.
0: I think that's <laughs> kind of
1: where you're going, Luigi. But, yeah. you know, cool idea. Maybe that's an option in, you know, say you buy the new Super STI, and it comes with an option, connects you to Google Maps, and it turns into your favorite voice, and it tells you, <laughs> you know, and instructs you like a rally co-driver. That would be helpful, I agree, but. Not I love traffic. that you
0: added the. I, I love that you added the pick your voice version because then you could have <laughs> your your co driver be a myriad of people. Oh, Darth Vader it. is my co pilot, and on we go. Yes, I hear it. Uh
1: huh. Oh man, it could be from you know Tom Cruise to yeah anybody any celebrity. Sean Connery,
0: to... John Cleese, <laughs> yeah. The, the good ones, yes, but but I'm imagining I'm imagining you you pick the Yoda voice and then you quickly promptly turn that off after he after you cannot follow for the life of you right. where he's trying to tell you because he talks in reverse. Yeah, I'm going to stay with the Star Wars jokes anyway. I know you're going to awesome. sit there silently until I'm done. Okay, uh huh. Yeah, I thought I'm that was now. good.
1: I, I mean, I think that idea could be continued to be fleshed out here. I I uh, I'm intrigued by it, and it just goes along with uh, you know. The age of autonomy is up upon us. It's looming. Uh-huh. And so everything is going to be about interiors. So what features that's on the true. inside that's true. will yeah. help us be better yeah. drivers or enjoy the experience more or on and on and on. So yeah. that's where my well, head's at. I,
0: I actually really liked your augmented reality thing. I hadn't thought in those terms. But you're very much future thinking in that regard. And I think that was very, very wise. But uh, Alex asked a uh, either-or question that I am – I'm only posing it out loud because I really don't have an answer. I think this is incredibly difficult. Alex Madaloni said, the Lexus LFA or the Shelby GT350, which has the better exhaust note? I'm kind of stumped. Alex, here's my only answer. Here's the only thing I can come up with. I'm going to go Shelby because you're going to see them and most people could, could consider affording one. The Lexus is in that hyper car never see it i mean our our pilgrimage film from this year there was one on spa with us and that's why it made the film because it was like what is that doing here i mean kudos to that person for driving it and yes it sounded amazing but it, i mean what are your chances of seeing one let alone hearing it that makes it awesome but the gt350 is an amazing exhaust note and amazing engine and amazing car people can just go get i mean yeah there's still price gouging but you follow me i mean compared to the lexus they're handing them out, so that's why I say the Shelby.
1: <laughs> and speaking of handing them out, you will buy one. You will take it to a Cars and Coffee wherever you live on the planet, and try to do a burnout and immediately crash your car. So
0: well, just that's a separate that. problem. That, that's that's just that just comes in the, part the Mustang of the deal, owners manual. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, yeah, I'm with you. I like the GT350. You know, for the same reason, it's uh, the LFA sounds. Phenomenal, but where – have you seen one is my question. We've seen – Yeah, fair point. But maybe I've seen one in California, and we saw one on track at the ring. I mean, they are just so few and far between, and they'll just be silent. So share your yeah. exhaust note, right? Share
0: – Share, share your, your exhaust. exhaust note. Your exhaust, exhaust, exhaust note is something you can share with everyone. Yeah, that's a fair <laughs> point. Well, it was cool to hear. It was actually on Spa. It was cool to hear that LFA on Spa because the guy was getting after it. And Yeah. It just, yeah. I mean, it, the thing I've never understood at car shows, and uh, look, I'm weird, I realize. But the thing I've never understood at car shows is I'm going to turn my car and I'm going to rev the engine in the parking lot. I want to hear the engine screaming because the car is moving. Uh, Maybe I'm alone in that. But that was the thing about this LFA is it sounded amazing, but the guy was pushing, too. He was driving hard. And it was cool to see both of those realities. It sounds awesome because it's being driven as intended. That was just cool. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, Jumping along here to David Watson's question about concept cars. Are there any concept cars that we have absolutely hated or absolutely loved? And what makes a good concept car as opposed to a production car? This is really fascinating. And uh, yeah, I've spent a lot of time in the automotive industry, just uh, yeah. you know, behind the scenes in the design studios, as you know. And I come back to a lot of things. First of all, this love-hate relationship with a guy named Franco Sbarro from the okay. 70s and 80s and 90s and the all weird right. thought-provoking stuff he came up with was Mm. you could count on him to really turn concept cars on their ear and be nothing close to production. I'll give you a great example. (laughs) is a 1990 Sbarro Chrono 3.5. This is an ugly car, but it has a BMW M1 engine in it, and it's designed specifically for drag times. It's called the Chrono, and it comes with a stopwatch embedded in the dash, and its entire purpose in life is 0 to 60 times. That's it. And the design is, I mean, it cracks in half and shows you the engine, and it's so ugly. It's terribly ugly. And I feel like nowadays concept cars get lost in the mix because we are all so desensitized to the crazy concept cars that belong in video games that Mm. we're kind of unimpressed. And Faraday Future, unfortunately, is a prime example of this when they – introduced their craziness at the CES show last year, everybody immediately yawned because it looks like something awesome that belongs in a video game. None of us can afford it or drive it or anything. I can't relate to it. So therefore Mm. I come to production cars that are relatable, things you see that could fit your life. I mean, it's a good example of what you thought of, what you said, Todd, the guys sticking the remote in the, in the, seat tear and so that fits his life whereas you remember when the volkswagen bug came back out the restyle back in the late 90s maybe you didn't want a flower in that flower vase maybe you wanted to put your cigar in there and it fit your life better so production cars are of course going to have to meet all kinds of crash testing and federal regulations and all that kind of stuff but if there's a production car that seems close and the tech is obtainable and the coal mm-hmm. car is relatable, that gets people excited. I think nowadays more so than the craziest, crazy of the nuttiest cars you've ever seen. Like like the Bugatti Chiron concept yeah. car.
0: Yeah. Holy okay.
1: cow. Oh, my gosh. The stuff Mercedes has been doing with, you know, a millimeter of ground clearance that looks like a rolling <laughs> sketch made out yeah. of Terminator yeah, yeah, 2. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Wow. I'm going to go look at the cars I can afford now because, yeah, interesting. And you're setting some design themes, but the ones that really hit close to home are the ones that we think, oh man, it would be so awesome if they put that into production because I would buy that. Those are the concept Mm -hmm. cars that Mm -hmm. turn our cranks. I mean, I'm speaking for you and I want to turn it over to you here, but I I mean, we're used to crazy styling, and I think car companies are starting to realize we need to pull it back from a you know exterior standpoint it needs well, to be techy and definitely concepty but could this fit your life could this could you see yourself driving this and that's yeah. what makes it successful for me
0: well i mean it's 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 fantasy versus reality. That's the struggle I have with concept cars. It's one of the reasons we don't talk about it much on the show. Because what's the the concept car is always like, oh, that's super cool. It's awesome. Oh, look at the crazy interior. Hey, it doesn't have side mirrors. Because concept cars never have side mirrors. So right. it, it, we just did cameras instead. I mean, all this kind of stuff that will never make production. It's it's just people playing around, I feel like. And there's a ton of work that goes into it. And you know far more about that than I do. But I just kind of feel like, OK, so what? We're going we're gonna to walk around, and we're going to look at this and go, hey, that's awesome. And then we're going to look at the rest of your lineup and go, this doesn't relate at all. I want mm-hmm. it to relate to the cars you're going to make. And the worst offender, I feel like, I have to say this, because I love the brand, but their concept cars candidly just annoy me now. And it's Subaru. Mm, they sure. have had such a running trend. I don't even know how long it's been going. I think as long as we've been car journalists, a running trend of Subaru drops some concept car and you just go, whoa, that's cool. Look at the styling. Wouldn't it be awesome? if? What if that's the next WRX? Hey, that's the coolest looking Subaru ever. And then when that car that that's supposed to be actually comes out, looks nothing like it. Looks nothing like it. <laughs> I mean, they've had four or five WRX STI concept cars where everybody has just been jaw-dropped and been like, you gotta build that. And it's like they laugh in a corner and go, just kidding. So, I mean, that's, they, they just, those Subaru concepts, I wanna see those cool concept designs. It's like they have a different designer who's locked in a room who just does cool stuff for Subaru for them to show at auto shows, and they have a different design department that actually works for them. It's very strange. I wish they would yeah. merge, cause I feel like they are the most disconnected car company in that regard, which is too bad because I like their products, but yet one of the, the constant, Criticisms that's levied against Subaru is their cars aren't attractive enough. I mean, especially the WRX, for example, that's been its issue forever. So Mm -hmm. let's come on, you you have the talent to make stuff that really impresses people and makes them look twice, and it's not making the assembly line. Let's merge the two. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah.
1: and you know, in some cases, the concept car is done after the production car is ready to go because they've got this Mm. production, and then they need to get the public excited about the. The production car coming out, and so it looks pretty close. I mean, they're not going to change too many things. They're just going to, you know, change some styling and tweak it and make it a little bit sexier. Sometimes that the case. That's the case. A good example of something that is well done was the brand new Ford GT. So talking about two modern ones right now is the Ford GT that was introduced in 2015. Yeah. the production car was nowhere near completed, but everybody mm-hmm. looked at that and could relate to it and could say, that looks really close to production, Ford mm-hmm. build that, and the one that is coming out as a production is going to be very close to what they introduced,
0: yeah. Yeah. even though it's mm-hmm. a
1: crazy looking car and you know all those things. And then one last one here is a brand new modern concept car that just came out, Renault Trezor. This is really notable because of the surface skin that they're doing. So no mm, longer mm. is it about interior features or the exterior design. It's all about the textures on the skin and the way the, the skin interacts. And uh, yeah, it's really fascinating. So look that one up and uh, yeah, you'll, you'll get an idea kind of what I'm talking about here. That's really thought provoking. But of course, the car is nowhere close to something we can afford or own or sure nearly production but you know that ford gt is a great example that is you know that yeah, looks ready very to go. Close. You know.
0: Yeah, very close in that regard. Yeah, that's a good point. Speaking of concepts versus reality, I wanted to jump down to Lucas's question, and then come back to some others. But Lucas asked, "What's wrong with the Lexus RX 350 Egg?" I think he's actually specifically <laughs> saying, "Look, it's it's big and comfy and drives well. And it's reliable. Why the egg?" Really, there's there's no slight intended there, Lucas. You're right. That that's that's one of the most successful, longest running, reliable cars from Lexus. In many ways, it kind of kick-started this level we're in now where everybody has a five-seat CUV that is medium-sized. They were kind of the first, and they did it great. But the reason Paul and I talk about it as the egg is the first couple generations look like, design-wise, we just talked about design for concept cars, look like they took an egg, instead of sitting vertically, they just turned it on its side and gave it wheels. I mean, that yeah. was the essential design shape. So we've always called it the egg. I know the styling's changed since then, but that's why the Lexus RX is the egg to us.
1: Maybe it's the cracked egg now because it's all sharp and stylish and
0: Yeah. I don't know. It's just It's an egg with a predator maw. Yeah, exactly. Uh huh.
1: And people buy it in white and they're just Ugh, I, I, yeah. The problem, Lucas, <laughs> is it's fine. There's really nothing wrong with it. It's perfectly fine. But it doesn't yeah. excite you. It doesn't get our wheels turning. It nothing about it is really compelling. It's just transportation with some luxury and it says Lexus and yeah, okay. I mean,
0: it's you know. it's a perfectly good appliance CUV. I mean, there's there's really nothing wrong with it in that regard. But those early versions just looked so much like an egg with wheels, it just used to shock us so that it will always be the egg to us. I'm sure at some point they will massively revolutionize the styling. We'll still call it the egg.
1: When you crash one, is it the scrambled egg?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Possibly. I don't know. Uh, Bad jokes Merrick is asking you about... Uh, Favorite pair of driving glasses, shoes, sunglasses, <laughs> pants, etc. And he's actually – I think he's kind of leading his question because his ultimate question is, so what's the deal with Paul's Porsche pants? Are they usable <laughs> or is it just a brand thing? And I, I don't have an answer there, but I know that you have them.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. I, I can feel the teasing coming. But, yeah, he's, he's asking about do we have a favorite pair of you know products in our lives that relate to driving sunglasses, gloves, shoes, pants. I like the Porsche pants because of the brand, because they're different. As a matter of fact, the ones I have are made by the German sports conglomerate Adidas, and they're more of a, you know, the fabric is more of a, you know, the poly, you know, faux. You know, it's not cotton. Sure. Whatever I'm yeah. Not fashion yeah, founder, Yeah, it's but, the
0: breathable stuff. I get, I get where you're going, yep. um,
1: So they are functional in that sense, and they, they don't wrinkle as much, but they're a fashion thing. And I like that it says Porsche on it, and <laughs> I relate to that. I mean – Yes, you do.
0: You know, yes, you sunglasses,
1: do. I'll say anything that's polarized. Uh, do yeah, not agreed. wear driving I love that. gloves, uh, shoes, <laughs> Puma, Nike, Porsches up there. But, you know, don't forget the Porsche cologne. You know, I like that too, so i 've
0: never even seen and... a bottle of it, but okay, all right, <laughs> this is why we 're different it 's all good. Uh, oh my gosh um, so uh we 've got many, many others here. We should jump into a few others we 're headed up toward an hour here soon, so we 'll have to wrap it up but uh, um Romeo, I actually wanted you to speak on this. I want to give you my uh, headline on it, but I really want you to speak on it specifically, Paul. Romeo is asking about car colors. We've got a lot of good design-related questions tonight. He is saying, are there certain cars that look better in certain colors? And he's also asking why. And he's asking in design terms why. And look, I, I drive an orange car. I would happily buy a Lotus Elise in their yellow, orange, orange. Red or their uh, their crazy green. I would happily own. I don't mean British ration green. I mean eye searing neon green. That green. Uh, so you know, I'm the guy that likes bright colored cars. I think sports cars should be in bright colors. I also think that non sports cars shouldn't be. But um, so I like bright colors. But I think in general, for me, and the FRS is a decent example actually. I think that bright colors are better on simple design shapes. Mm -hmm. than complex design shapes because when the design shape is busy, you kind of need to tone it down a bit with a less look-at-me color. But, I mean, even look at the the Huracan right now. The Huracan is actually a pretty simple wedge shape, and it looks spectacular in bright colors. Mm -hmm. But you get something that is... uh, I'll give you a counterpoint. The Lexus RC with that crazy Predator Maw and all that, that doesn't look as good in bright colors because there's so much going on design-wise, I just kind of want to back it off a bit. So uh, there's there's my headline on it, just from personal experience. But you as a designer, I think he's kind of more talking to you. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I really like this question because color says so much. And every major car manufacturer on the planet has an entire huge color and trim department that are staffed by professionals, always seeking out new materials. It's the same way when you look at a motorcycle. The first thing you look at is the seat. And if the seat looks comfortable, you think, huh, that looks like a comfortable bike that I'd like to ride.
0: Mm.
1: So when you look at materials and colors, that definitely says something. And there is a science. I mean, there is huge, deep discussions and a full-on science to colors that very much take their cues from the fashion industry. hate to tell you, but the fashion industry dictates everything else in your life, products and Mm. uh, furniture and everything else. Just note as the things, you know, as – Colors change year to year. There's subtle differences. A good example is that new Porsche pastel blue, on the 7118 Cayman. I've got the dark sapphire sure, yeah. blue, but yeah, that's yeah, yeah. kind of we're kind of going away from that. That was a 2015, yeah. so old, you know.
0: Now yeah, it's that was so pastel. last year, Paul. It was so I don't even know how you can drive that car. I know that I color just, is so last year. I just
1: I almost gag every time I drive it. Just forced to yeah, drive it. I know. I know <laughs> I mean the you know Hondas and the economy cars from the early nineties were this turquoise green that was popular then, yeah, yeah but yeah. it was dictated by fashion, but it it's also dictated by the use of the car, and Todd's car is a great example, simpler shapes, so Ferraris from the sixties, clean sculptural designs, mm. yeah, 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 with mm. a singular design element, a singular side intake, like a lotus Elise or something like that on which bright colors look great. But then the use of the car comes into play. The, the Lamborghinis, their hotness, they're so aggressive and they've got to get a color to match. Can you imagine a sure. Lamborghini yeah. in champagne, fish scale, metallic gloss?
0: No. The, the the Camry champagne color. The Camry no. champagne color from the 90s on a Lamborghini Huracan. And we all want to kind of gouge our, our subconscious out right now for even thinking of it. Yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm.
1: Color says so much to our eye. The deep ruby red that can work well on a Ferrari F12. It's also – it can work on an SUV. So, you know, there's some crossover there. But the bright colors work well on aggressive – you know, cars that want to be driven hard and fast and are marketed as such. Sports cars, full-on sports cars. Can you imagine yeah, yeah, yeah. rubber ducky yellow on a Hyundai Elantra? I i dare you. Picture <laughs> that one and get yeah. back to me when your eyeballs pop out of your head. Because no, no thank you. That car is never going to be seen going fast unless it's on a car chase on a California freeway. But that notwithstanding, not not yeah. you're yeah, never yeah. going to see those cars in – You know, some bright hot color. It's always going to be a variation of a very sophisticated, subdued color. And with those cheap cars, they want to make them look more expensive than they are.
0: So Mm, it's a sophisticated,
1: neutralized, you know, hues and tones have been very massaged. And there's a whole art to that. Whereas Ferrari, bright Ferrari red, bright Porsche red just pops. Yeah. And the car itself is sophisticated. And so a fun, sporty color works so well on that. It it just it depends, you know. Imagine a hot sports car in some of the more boring Ford or GM colors, and then do the you know the opposite.
0: The sure, sure, yeah, yeah. you know the hot
1: cars in in
0: uh, the 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 brand new Chevy Malibu in Lamborghini Huracan orange,
1: or that that nitro green or whatever they call it. Just like yeah, whoa, exactly. uh, yeah, perfect. this car will never perfect, be yes. driven or. Doesn't have the performance to back up the shouty color,
0: so yeah, yeah. that's I, an interesting. I point love too. debating yep. this yep. question.
1: I'm I'm very fascinated by this, and and uh, you know it's it's always going to be so tweaked and tuned, and and ever sophisticated colors are coming, and um, yeah, I, I'm well, I'm fascinated.
0: And, and I I rage against silver and gray, which have been top colors for cars forever. But I rage against silver and gray because my, my joke has always been and – you, and you've and you owned, I mean, you, your Audi A4 wagon was actually a very nice Audi silver color. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I, I, I rage against it because I feel like you didn't even bother to pick a color. You just – it's approximately the color of metal. Okay. let's Yeah, that's good <laughs> enough. Ship that out. But I know it's very popular. But, I, but again, I'm the guy that I would buy the bright orange ridiculous eye-searing Fiesta ST. So it's a cheap car a ridiculous color because I'm essentially an overgrown child. So I, I understand, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty fun. Um, it just, yeah, it just depends. I, I'm looking forward to uh, what electric car shades will be painted. You know, like that Mercedes, uh, the electric GT that they came out with that was super sure. eye searing green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now the GTR is a backed off. You know, still bright green, but a whole different shade. So I'm, I'm excited for what. You know, what do you color do you paint an autonomous car? Is well, it supposed to blend it comes in? Back-
0: Yeah, it comes back to that thing that you said, where is design even going to matter? I mean, will an exterior color be relevant? Uh, It'll be, I think, much more about the interior colors. And the exterior color will be whatever, you know, the color of your wall gray. Because who cares? You know, who cares? You're not looking out the window. You're looking at the cabin around you and at your smartphone because the car is doing the driving. And that's probably where we're headed.
1: The future is white, people. So buy a car with a really cool color.
0: The end. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. What else have you got here that you liked?
1: Hmm. Mike Schmidt asked about wheel design, also making a break in oh, the yeah. look of a car. And you're actually back to your stock wheels with the winter tires and hating Sadly. life, although you're mm-hmm. you know much uh, more handly and fun in the snow. <laughs> yes, <laughs> man. It's, uh, no, I mean, that,
0: that's the thing. Those tires are – I mean, that that was the best thing for those wheels because they're wheels I don't care about. I don't like them. But if they get beat on, okay perfect thing for winter tires but mike mike's actually asking i do like this question he's asking about what's the deal with bad wheel design and i would i would say to you mike the problem is while i agree with you that i hate the frs stock wheels i have met a lot of people that really like them you so have? it's such a personal thing i have met a few who are like no really? i like the stock wheel and i'm always like really you you do i mean you you can probably speak to it much better than i can paul but i i think it's a merging of what they want the car to be versus what the car might not be. I mean, you've always talked about how more spokes typically mean nicer car. Those stock FRS wheels have got a lot of spokes on them. Mm-hmm. And then I also am sure there's an economy of scale of, okay, we, but we can't have that few spokes because it's harder to manufacture. We've got to make a ton of these. We've got to make it cheap. All of that stuff starts to happen. And there is such a good aftermarket. I mean, I love the PFO-1 inkies that I have for my summer wheels. Love those on the car. Those wheels have set the car off that I do turn around and look at it. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, I mean, I like the car otherwise, but I just am like, yeah, those wheels just don't help it. But it is amazing how many uh, manufacturers, especially on the cheaper end of cars, it's just wheel. And they very rarely are that interesting. Uh, You get to the higher end of cars, and you start getting options that are interesting. But I also think, I'll go to Porsche, for example. A lot of times, the base car's wheel is kind of eh. And the ones you want are the 20s that look really great that have good design, yeah. Yeah. and that happens at all price points. But the FRS is obviously made to a price, and so the wheels are nasty. But I, why do you think it happens, though, Paul?
1: It uh, it can be dictated by the accountants. If uh, you know those wheels need to be shared on a different car, or you know you have a lot of spokes on your wheel on that stock FRS wheel, but a lot of them are yeah. blacked out with only mm-hmm. 5 left polished to indicate some sort of sportiness. So yeah. it depends on the manufacturing process. I mean, those are just going to be very cheaply cast wheels and what design will fit that that will still lend some sport and some function and they've got to be narrow and, you know, then it just decides, you know, comes down to the t- decisions of the people in the design reviews. But I also will add aftermarket wheels they look great by themselves on the website. But then if you try yeah. to put your favoritely chosen wheel that's way too busy on your car, suddenly you've gone into just way overkill, it's suddenly tasteless. So you've got to yeah. really back it off into, all right, am I doing sporty driving, just a simple, clean five-spoke or six-spoke? Or is it more of a luxury thing? You want some bling and you know all that kind of stuff, but it's so easy to get ugh, it's so over the top very quickly. Um,
0: yeah.
1: It uh, it just depends, I mean, on uh, on the manufacturer, the manufacturing process, and the amount of effort, I think, that goes into really designing the wheel. Maybe it just comes down to the amount of time they had, and like, you know what, we'll call it good,
0: and go with that one. You know what I wonder right now, and I don't have an answer, and somebody might, and it's like a, now I'm kind of like in a research project that I won't find the answer to while we're on the podcast, but the, I just was thinking again about my wheels, I wonder if any time in the last 5 to 10 years, has Subaru or Toyota sold a car with the same wheel design, but all the spokes are shiny, and so it looks like a different wheel? I'm wondering if it's a parts bin wheel. Possibly. Possibly. I, just, or, you know, what? where else has that wheel been seen? I, I, I'm just now thinking that. Maybe it's a wheel they made for that car, but based on just the economy of it all, I kind of wonder if that's even possible. But... There, there are so many things about the wheels have got across to different, different models. And, I mean, you know, Subaru's done the same wheel on a lot of their cars forever. And so has Mazda. I mean, it just makes sense. You make a wheel design that has to work for everything, which means on some designs it's going to look great and other designs it's going to look like, why is that wheel on there? Well, that's the only wheel we're making right now. So it has to fit on everything.
1: Hmm. We ought to have a wheel sponsor for the podcast so we can talk about… Various things for a broad range of cars. Sure. You
0: know because, you know, what everybody out there is doing is just buying lots of sets of wheels. However, I have a disease <laughs> now that is related to tires, and I, not that long ago, was randomly looking at full track tires and realizing, so what, 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 what rims would I get to have a full set of track tires? And then I had to close the web browser because I realized, who am I and what is going on? You know, I, I want to have. I, all these people, you know, do you want to tune your car with all the things you want to do? I want to have, like, a Pez dispenser of rims with wheels, with tires on them. It's just like, oh, well, look, it's – it's, and I need a pit crew, apparently, if I'm <laughs> going to change wheels like this. But, yeah, I mean, I want to have my – you know, this is super sports. But now – oh, you know what? Super sports aren't good enough because I'm doing a track day. It's ridiculous.
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, honey, I spent $6,800 on wheels. Yeah, but how That's much just... did you save? See, there <laughs> – <You know.
0: laughs> Frightening. Yes, I hear you. Okay. Uh, anything else we should cover before we wrap this up? We've actually we've already gone an hour. We've still got questions left here. Thank you guys for these, but uh, we're obviously not even going to cover all of them here. Actually, I do want to talk on Christopher's question real quick.
1: Okay. All right.
0: Did, did you have another one as well?
1: Uh, let's end with with his question and we'll wrap things up from there.
0: Okay. All right. Christopher's asking about turbos. Now we've talked about turbos a lot. We talked about them uh, recently in the uh, GTS versus M2 film. Because obviously the 718 Cayman has gone turbo. The uh, the M2 is turbo. The GTS is not. So we talked about them there. We talked about them in lots of places. Turbos are the thing now, in case you haven't noticed. And Christopher is pointing this out as, okay, what's the deal with turbos? Why is everybody putting them in? Of course, he acknowledges it's for, quote, unquote, efficiency. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> But but is it a better thing? Is this where we're going? Will it ever come back? Uh, Christopher, I think this ship has sailed, unfortunately, because turbos... What Turbo is allowing, I don't know another way to say this, Turbo is allowing every manufacturer to, completely above the board, do what Volkswagen is currently having to do a buyout for. Turbos allow a manufacturer to have a car go through the miles per gallon test, and because it's able to do the miles per gallon test not on boost, it gets incredible economy figures that would not be possible if that four-cylinder were a six or the six were an eight. But then you go drive it as normal people drive it, and you get the same gas mileage as if you'd had the bigger engine they had in the last generation. This isn't helping, but it is helping for regulations and for CAFE numbers and for MPG numbers. It's the primary thing driving it. And in a lot of cases, it depends almost on the car and the driving conditions. Sometimes I'm like, I wish this had a turbo feel. Other times, the FRS, naturally aspirated, is awesome.
1: I think you're right. I think we're past the point of, you know, really making the case for large displacement, naturally aspirated engines. Dodge is hanging on with their fingernails. And <laughs> the only other ones that I can think justify that would be the high-end sports car manufacturers like Lamborghini yep. or Audi or, I mean, even Ferrari is past that point now. Porsche's way past yep. it. I just think because of the benefits that you get and because turbo technology is so good now, it's not like the 80s where it was, you know, just true, terrible true. and you had to wait 30 seconds for it to cool down after you're parked and all that stuff. We're we're in such good technology now that celebrate it. I mean, I, I say that tongue in cheek because I'm keeping the GTS. It's an naturally aspirated sure. flat six. Sure. Nothing like it, but I that old adage, no replacement for displacement just ain't true anymore it just isn't and uh well but i i'm with you it's not a thing to be sad about though
0: by any means but the same thing there is something interesting and 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 lovable about a good naturally aspirated engine and the way it interacts with the throttle there's something there that is lost but Mm -hmm. i'll talk about two cars that you and i beat into the ground frs versus fiesta st okay I love the FRS for its just the tactile feel of the throttle, the naturally aspirated engine. Yeah. I love that you can find the power in it. You got it's got a personality. You have to learn the engine, but that can get annoying for a lot of people. I get it. One of the things that's great about the Fiesta ST is the RPM part of the RPM band where you're normally going to drive, three thousand to five thousand, is where it's on turbo and punchy and fast and ready to pass anything. That's the same part of the RPM where the FRS is the most dead. <laughs> so, uh, let's be honest. 3,000 to 4500 on the stock FRS is the place where you're going. Does this car have an engine? But that's the place where in normal driving you're there all the time and the Fiesta is a bullet at that oh, RPM yeah. because it's on turbo. So this is the thing that turbos are bringing us is they're bringing us cars that have got punch that surprises us in the places we most use it. If you go to the track, you go to the canyons, you drive all over the RPM band, so you don't care anymore. But right. that's not right. the way most people drive. And that, in that regard, turbos have revolutionized just the feel of the power of cars. So we're all looking to
1: forward to two-cylinder turbo engines from here on out. We just can't wait, really.
0: You They're joke. Gonna... It'll be you know one or two-cylinder <laughs> <laughs> engines with something to offset the ridiculous clatter and a, and a hybrid system to offset the fact that it almost has no power and there's a hamster under the hood. We're headed yeah. there. We're headed there for sure.
1: I-8's already there. I mean, it's a scooter motor, three-cylinder scooter engine with an electric assist. And All right. I I better stop joking. And we better end the podcast because, wow. Yep. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening, for watching. We really appreciate all your enthusiasm and for following along. We will be asking for more questions and uh, looking forward to talking more very soon with you. And in the meantime, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Cheers.